Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad Anul Polat. Thank you for listening and joining this episode of the podcast. It is a very good one. There are a lot of great episodes of the podcast. I would venture to say they're all great, but this one is very profound. My guest today is Fresh, who is a celebrity fashion designer. Fresh is the founder and creative director of the Los Angeles-based luxury fashion house Rich Fresh, and you've probably seen his fashion somewhere on the internet or on one of your favorite celebrities like The Weeknd or in a Justin Bieber video. But one iconic piece of fashion that he's made are Henry masks. Now, you've probably seen those masks if you watched any of the NBA games. Pretty much all the players and coaches are sporting these Henry masks. And it caught my eye and I thought that would be an interesting guest to, to just maybe understand how those masks have become so incredibly popular. You know, maybe there's some sort of machine, you know, like a big corporate entity or something behind it. But the story and Fresh's story from going from being homeless in 2017 to now having sold millions of masks and having donated one mask. So for every mask that's bought, one mask is donated. It's an incredible, I mean, the conversation just goes beyond fashion. I, I, I think it's very profound. I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. It's inspirational, but it's, it's also very thought provoking. And I enjoyed my time uh, having this conversation very much. And I think you'll enjoy listening to it as much as I did actually speaking to Fresh. So here you go. Here is my interview with Fresh. Thanks again, Fresh. I appreciate you doing the podcast. I first got interested in speaking with you because of, of masks, really, and, and watching NBA games and noticing that every player and coach seems to be wearing a, a Henry mask. And I was like, how that seems like an amazing deal like how, how how did that happen and then i started looking into your story a little bit and it's probably the most unlikely uh, a story that i've come across so you know if you do me the pleasure of just starting off just you know where you grew up and and your how do you get from you know you as a child to where you are now um it takes a long time man <laughs> uh, no, it, um, you know, I was always a weird child who was very, I've always been a perfectionist. I've always been very creative and artistic. I would draw all the time. I was always dreamy, like, you know, not really being in the, um, in the reality space, like being more on like dreaming of stuff and then just thinking about that, not really focusing on reality. So I've always been that way. And then I just, uh, I found fashion as like my go-to when I was in middle school. Cause I was a very shy, quiet, nerdy kid. Um, I got picked on, you know, all the things that you would expect from the shy, quiet, nerdy kid. And so I, you know, I tutored this cheerleader who I had the biggest crush on, but you know, I'm not a fan of making people uncomfortable. And I knew like, she didn't like me like that. So there was no point in me gushing over her. Since I'm tutoring her, why don't I just use this time better. So instead of like being weird and creepy, I just asked her like, Hey, I'm not really good with girls and you're not good with math, but I can help you with the math. I need to understand what girls are into, you know, like, how do I get, you know, how do I get pretty girls? 
And so um, we did that, you know, she, she took me down that, that conversation, you know, like, okay, here's what girls like, here's what girls look for, here's what they don't like. And I was everything that they didn't like, I just didn't know it. And um, that's what introduced me to fashion. And so once I got that, I started dressing differently. And I got to high school and I was one of the best dressed kids in high school. And I saw like, damn, life is different. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel more respected. All the girls like me. I'm definitely not getting picked on. Um, it was just a different vibe. And uh, I was like, damn, I like this. You know, it feels real. And I was helping other kids in high school with their image, you know, they'd see me walking around and like, man, how do you put your colors together like that? How do you close fit this way? You know, they didn't know, like I was, I was secretly sewing and no one knew it, but um, so I've been tailoring my clothes since I was in high school. I didn't even know what a tailor was. But after, um, after doing that for a while throughout high school, I just realized that I had a gift and like, not just doing it well for myself, but doing it well for other people. Like I can look at you and tell you like, oh, here's how I would dress you if, if it was on me. And boom, I think you'd like the result. So I just decided that I would do that like as a career path, um, which wasn't really a thing back when I was, you know, coming up. You didn't hear people saying that they're gonna be a stylist or be a designer. You're gonna be a practical thing, an architect, an accountant, an attorney, a doctor, a nurse. And so, you know, I had a bunch of um, scholarship offers that had come in to do exactly those things which I was not interested in. And none of these schools had fashion merchandising, fashion design, fashion anything. And so I just decided to not do any of that shit. And, um, you know, do it, do it the, the tough way. You know, I went to the local university, more so just to have a place to stay because I had gotten kicked out of my parents' house. Uh, so I needed somewhere to live. So I went to the U of M and then um, same deal, it was like, why am I here? Like, this is not fashion. I hate it here. I don't want to be here. I dropped out and just started working a little, you know, odd jobs, making a little bit of money, like, but still being super broke. And I started a business um, when I was 21. Since I had been sewing and doing alterations this whole time, I was just like, I need to find a way to use this machine to make money. And Memphis isn't really a hotbed for fashion, but everyone wears clothes and my clothes fit better than everyone else. Let me just flip that angle. And so I started branding myself as a tailor when I was 21. Actually, when I was 19, I started branding myself as a tailor. At 21, I opened a tailoring business doing alterations for like a bunch of different dry cleaners. So I pick it up, I do the work, I deliver it back to them. And um, that was my first, boom, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. And then I opened the dry cleaners uh, the following year downtown Memphis, really nice, you know, burgeoning area. And, uh, you know, I did that for a couple of years, but, you know, it was my first storefront and having to be, be there. I didn't know about staffing. So uh, a lot of things didn't go right. And I was, I was married and, you know, I was having some marital issues that I didn't know how to separate from the business. So I ended up shutting the business down when I was, um, uh, like two years later, I was like 23, 24. And then, you know, just hustled, did my thing as like a personal tailor, just going to people, still tailoring because it's still what I like doing. And then I moved to New York. I just decided that 
you know, I was about as good as Memphis was going to get me. Um, and I moved to New York to get more training. And I worked for some really big brands up there. Did my thing. I thought I thought I was going to stay in New York. I thought it was awesome. And then the market crashed. And, uh, and then I moved from New York back to Memphis. And um, which is actually where I decided I wanted to be a designer for real. I started making these bags in my spare time you know, just taking care of my daughter. I didn't want to have to get a job. So that way I could hang out with my with my kid all day. And uh, I would just make these bags and people would start buying them. And I went a whole year in Memphis only making bags. Like I didn't even do alterations. I was just making bags. And they were dope enough. I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to LA. I'm going to be a famous bag designer, you know? Cause I'm straight and I make really cool bags and that's, I don't really see a lot of straight guys that make really nice purses. So I think I'm gonna use that to my advantage. Um, and so me and my brother and my daughter just upped and moved to California, just on a whim. It's like, how much money you got? I got $500. How much money you got? I got like 3000. Fuck it. Let's move. So, um, we just moved and you know, got got to the West Coast, got to San Diego first, stayed there for a few years, just figuring out the West Coast, because this is significantly different from the South. Um, the opportunities are different, the money's different, the people are different, the vibe, the way people dress, the way people speak. And so we just had to kind of get acclimated. And then, um, you know, we just had a few successes and failures, and I got tired of San Diego, decided to move to Los Angeles in 2013. So I did that, moved here. I worked in retail. I worked at the Beverly Center for uh, this Italian menswear company called Zinnia. And I did that for a year. I was really good. I was a top sales guy. Um, but I wasn't liking the way I was being treated there. You know, uh, I felt like a rock star and I was being treated like the help. And I don't move that way. So I decided to start another business in LA, uh, making suits. And I did that, you know, hit, made, made enough money to quit my job and quit my job. Just, you know, it was the most gangster way to ever quit your job. I'll have to get into that story later. It was the most gangster shit ever. Um, and then I just started, you know, doing my thing. I started a brand, I called it Rich Freshman. Um, Cause I was going by Rich. It's the only time I ever had a nickname and I liked it. So Rich Freshman was the brand, two words. Uh, cheap stuff, you know, $1,000 suits, $800 suits, made in China, just colorful stuff. You know, I'm, I'm big on colorful shit. Colorful, fits well, but none of the details that the current products have. And, um, you know, I did my thing with that. It was a lot of struggle. It was a lot of, you know, I was dealing with a lot of uh, internal things, you know, um, and at the same time, trying to run a business. And so I failed a lot and, you know, I was broke a lot, made a lot of dumb decisions. I'm in California, so, you know, California drug culture is upon us. Um, the party, the day drinking, the midnight drinking, the afternoon drinking, the evening drinking, the, the brunch time drinking, the just drinking all the time culture also set in. And um, shit started, you know, spiraling and I looked up and I didn't have shit. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any place to stay. 
and my business was in shambles. I had spent years destroying my business, messing up my reputation, and now I'm in a shelter. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that was a good moment for me. It was a, a, a moment of reckoning and like, this is what happens when you don't handle your business. This is what happens when you bullshit. This is what happens when you do coke all the time. It's what happens when you, you know, live reckless. Reckless shit happens. Now you have to go to sleep next to a junkie. That's what happens when you're reckless. But it was also like, you know, but some other shit could happen also. But you got to do other stuff. So I started getting these glimpses and ideas of what the future could be if I were more responsible. What would it be like if I actually wasn't a screw up? Um, if I wasn't a drug addict, if I wasn't an alcoholic, if I wasn't all these things, then what would life be like? It was like, shit, I think life would be great. I think it would be awesome if I wasn't those things. Okay, well then why don't we just work on like not being those things? And I feel like the life will follow the person who it belongs to. And that was really it. And um, I just had this idea like, I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna create a luxury brand and I'm gonna call it Rich Fresh. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. You know, I just had this idea to like, um, I'm gonna do something luxury. I know you usually don't see black designers doing luxury, but I'm gonna do like Tom Ford luxury. Like I'm gonna do super luxurious stuff. And I've only got a little bit of money. I've only got like 300 bucks, but I feel like I can make this work. Um, and so I just put this idea together in the shelter to do this concept called Rich Fresh. Make it, you know, different. And I gotta find a defining characteristic and all these things and who I needed to be as a, as a designer and as a business person and just as a person, like how do I need to live in order to be successful and not screw it up? I was the king of like sabotaging my own success back in the day. Oh, I'd be so close to the finish line. I'd trip over my own feet, bust my shit open, you know? It was just my, my that's how I was wired. Um, I think I was afraid of success and what all comes with success. Like you have to continue being successful once you become successful. I think I was afraid of that. And I just got really cool with the idea of it while I was at my lowest. It was like, well, I know what the alternative looks like. It looks like this. You know, if I don't work hard, I'm going to end up in a bad situation. So why don't I just turn into the other person? Um, so I just committed to that. You know, I committed to stopping drinking. I went vegan. I stopped doing drugs. Um, you know, I was celibate for a long time. So I just changed everything that I thought was doing me harm. And then magical things happen, you know? I went from being like, literally, I never had money. I was the person that never had money. I would ask my siblings, I'd ask my mom for 50 bucks. Hey, mom, I need to borrow 50 bucks. You know, and I just decided that you're gonna take care of your mom. Like, you're gonna retire your mother before the system could retire your mother. You're gonna do this, that, and the other. And I didn't have anything, but I knew that's the type of person that you're gonna become. And before the year is up, like I, I got out the shelter in January, 2018, uh, like towards the end of January. And by November that year, my mom was retired and I made a million dollars. And it's like, things just started moving. It's like, oh shit, it moved fast. Like I really changed everything about myself. And that whole reality that I saw in my dreams, it showed up like an, in an instant and, um, so yeah, so that was like, wow, this is a fascinating thing. 
And so I just stayed in that space, kept doing dope stuff, added the stripes, did the yellow tabs, added track suits, started really branding myself as a celebrity tailor and getting really comfortable with the idea of manifesting the realities that I wanted. Cause I know that I can do that. Like there's no reason that a person with 300 bucks and all of these addictions she would take $300 and turn it into a million dollars with no one else giving them any extra money to add to the 300. They just took 300 and put pictures up on Instagram and followed through and handled their business and made a million. They'd never done that before. They never even made 150,000, you know? And so it was like, oh shit. Well, what else can we manifest? And we just started doing more. Just, you know, I started saying, I want more. I want bigger clients. I want this. I want that. And things started happening. It's like, oh, shit, I got to keep doing this now. Let me keep doing this now. Let me keep doing this. And then my brother, um, you know, he was he was an aircraft you know, mechanic. He was flying all over the world, fixing planes. And he was going through, um, you know, some things, you know, in his personal life. And I thought that he would benefit from being around someone real positive and I had turned to a real positive person I was like you know you, you need to be in this space you know we're, we're healthy living over here optimistic and uh I hired him to run the factory because I ended up buying my factory so I hired him to run it and he did his thing he did a great job you know things were moving all you know everything was moving smooth and then COVID happens pandemic hits everything gets shut down um and we're just like, fuck. And again, people were calling me and say, man, oh, bro, you were so close. Man, damn, bro. Oh, bro, you were about to be the next one. Damn, man. Fuck COVID, bro, that sucks. Oh, man. Oh, man, God's not right for that. And I was like, nah, I don't move that way. Like, I'm very much a God person. I, I, I trust God. God is the whole reason that I'm here, you know, it's just me telling God, God, I want, I want better things. I want more things. I want to make more money. I want to do this. And God just makes things happen. So I was just like, no, nah, I feel like this, this is just a moment to step back. This is just a speed bump. Sometimes you're driving real fast and God has to throw a speed bump in front of you. And so, um, you know, I didn't panic. I just slowed down. I was like, okay, business is slowing down drastically. I still got 15 people on payroll. I still got this expensive ass rent for the, the house I was living in. It's like, damn, so I can't stop making money. Well, we got to come up with another way to make money. And, um, you know, we, we went to, to just filling more orders. Like we still had some orders coming in. So we wanted to fill the orders and we wanted to make masks for our staff because we couldn't find any. There was a mask shortage everywhere. So I got 13, tailors that I need working close to each other and they don't have masks. That's not going to work. Well, I'm a tailor. I can make a mask. Let me go down to the factory, see if I have some fabric. I'll just make a fucking mask. Who cares? So that's what I did. Went down to the factory with my brother, made a mask, came back to the house that night. A, a buddy of mine FaceTimed me. He was like, hey man, what'd you do today? I was like, ah, oh, we was just chilling. You know, I went down to the factory. I actually made a mask. Um, had to do some masks for the staff. Oh, you made a mask? Yeah, what does it look like? I was like, well, FaceTime me real quick. He FaceTimes me, I put it on. It's just a surgical mask. It was all black. He was like, oh man, that's nice. You made that? Man, I need some. I need some for some of my staff. And I mean, I got people down here that need masks. Can you make 500 of them? I was like, uh, 
sure, I guess. And so he made 500 in like four days. As soon as he got those 500, he ordered 500 more. And I was like, oh shit, okay, well, let's do that. And then as soon as he got those 500, he ordered a thousand more. And he was like selling them, he was getting them and then he was reselling them because there was a shortage everywhere. So after two weeks, we made 6,000 masks and we'd already hired a staff. Like we only, I only physically participated in the production for round one. After the second round, I was like, nope, we got to hire staff. I'm a boss. I don't, I'm not sitting in a machine all day. Um, so we hired a staff. After two weeks, we were at 6,000 masks. And I told my brother one day, we were driving back up to the house, that in order for us to really do this properly, we got to turn this into a business. Right now, it's a hustle. The packaging is nondescript. There's no branding. There's no ethos. We're just doing some shit. This is a hustle. I don't hustle. I build businesses. And we legitimately make a lot of money. So let's figure out how to do that. You know, I went back up to the house, um, smoked, and started folding up some paper and just came up with the iconic shape for the Henry mask by just folding up paper, doing some origami. And then, um, so I knew like, oh shit, this is the shape. Then the next day, you know, I was just outside looking over the hills and just talking to God, just like, I really want to do this a certain way. And I want it to be big and I want it to be this. And I just got this download of like, here's what it should be. It should be called Henry. It's y'all's last name. It's your father's name. You know, spread that name throughout the world. It should be priced this way. You should do a subscription model because the, the acquisition cost per customer is way too high for such a small product. You need to have them on something where they're consistently getting a thing. Um, you need to also have a philanthropic component. You can't be getting all this money while everybody's starving and dying and you flaunting all this money that y'all making and you're not doing them for the people. So for every mask that you sell, donate one. I'm like, oh, that's easy. Um, and then just like, you know, grow it big, grow it bigger than it needs to be before it needs to be there. So we were at 20 employees and we hadn't even started a business. Like we were still like figuring out what we're going to do. Let's, let's build a website. Um, but you know, I mean, we're, we're very faithful guys and you know, it's like Noah, there was no reason for Noah to start building an art aside from the fact that he knew rain was coming. <laughs> we knew like there's going to be a pervasive need for this thing. People think it's going to be over, but I just feel like it's not. So we should be prepared to be the front runner in this space. Yeah, let's spend our own money. You know, I had some money from Rich Fresh. I did my job and I took all that money and bet it all on Henry. And the shit hit. Hit real quick and it's turned into like the biggest mask brand out. Like it's, it's the one and it's really the only mask brand. Um, but it, uh, it really did some amazing things. So we're at year two. We're going into, we're like month 13 right now for um, Henry Mask and you know, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, everyone, like you said, all the NBA players are wearing it. Um, it's just the new standard. You know, if you're wearing a mask and you really care about yourself, it's a Henry. Um, I mean, you, you can wear a surgical mask, but it just means you don't really like yourself. You definitely don't care about yourself. Um, but Henry just, it, 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 it did something. It made like staying safe really cool. And um, I just, just fascinated with what's going on with that business. And at the same time, now Rich Fresh has like come back online bigger than ever doing music video after music video. We just did, you know, uh, 
the great Khalid's video with Jay Balvin. We just did Justin Bieber's, you know, Peach's video. We've got more videos coming. We've got campaign after campaign after campaign. So many huge things going on in, in the rich, fresh world and the Henry world. So it's a very exciting time to be the CEO. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible. I, 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 I'm curious how you think now, how younger you would have handled the success that you're having now. Do you, do you feel, I mean, how are you better equipped to handle it? What, you know, th there's a thing that can happen. It seems like, you know, once you set on a direction, you go there. But, yeah. you know, maybe there's a time when there are a lot of things you want to go after and it can kind of disorganize you. You know, how do you focus that sort of that creative urge? How, how do you focus where you, where you need to be next? Um, well, I'm, I'm very focused, you know. Like, there are a million distractions, you know. I'm, I recognize distractions all around. And I'm just not, I used to get distracted. I used to procrastinate because I didn't think I really liked what I was doing. I was just doing it because I had to, but I didn't really like what I was doing. So I would just do a whole bunch of other shit first. And um, I just got rid of all my distractions because like, I know what I'm prone to, you know? It's just like, you know, when you know yourself, when you know yourself and you know how you move, you, you shouldn't set your own floor to be a booby trap. If you know how you move, don't set your own floor as a booby trap. So I know that I'm very compulsive. I know that I can get easily distracted. So I got rid of all my TVs. You know, I don't watch TV. I got TVs all over my new house. I don't turn on them on. I don't watch TV. I don't watch the news. I don't deal with gossipy, pessimistic people. Um, I don't really deal with a lot of people in general. And I just, you know, I, I, I just keep the things around me that I want to stay around, which helps, you know, to prevent the distractions. Um, and I, I'm not a person that like, I don't find value in being entertained. That doesn't do anything for me. Like, yo, I was at the club all weekend doing what? I hope you was getting some money. That seems stupid to me. You know, you was doing what? All weekend? How much money did you make? You're so stupid. You watch TV all weekend? You know, every person that you watched on TV got paid? for you watching them on TV? How much money did you make? None? You're so stupid. So that's how my brain is. So, um, and I just love working. Like, I love the, the reality that I built, you know? Like a few years ago, I mean, literally, like, and it costs $13 a day to get into the shelters. Shelters are not free. They cost money. It was 13 bucks a day. And I would have to like, fuck, how am I gonna come with this money? Cause I gotta eat some tomorrow. And this is like, I got $15 and I gotta say, shit. And now I'm looking out, I'm, I'm in like a multi-million dollar crib, like in the hills, like perched up, looking out at more cribs in the hills. And like, I got sports cars outside, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm the shit, like I'm the boss. I'm, I don't work for anybody. I created this reality off of the work, you know, off of the focus. Shame on me to get distracted now. Shame on me to love all the things that I've amassed and start getting distracted and lose my focus someone's got to beg me to get up and work. I work every single day, you know, and I love it because I love the outcome of the work. And had you been in that position before where you, you, you said, okay, I, I need to do these things. I, I know what I need to, to fix. 
but it didn't work out. I mean, you know, was this something that was just one time and you just had an epiphany at once, or was it, you know, you had to try multiple times to, to get to, you know, the 2018 point? No. Yeah. So, uh, it was, I never had the right mindset because, um, I failed at everything I did, uh, back then, every single thing I did failed. If I touched it, it failed. It might look like it was going to succeed, but it was about to fail. Um, that was just my frequency, you know, that was the people I hung with, the conversations I was having, the information I was taking in. So yeah, uh, the old me would have panicked. I never would have seen this level of success because I'd have fucked it up. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have ruined it a year ago. Um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to pay more people to do the job that I know I'm not qualified to do. You know, I would have tried to save the money and do the stuff that I couldn't do so that I wouldn't really even want to do it. So I procrastinate that I wouldn't do it and I'd have to give the money back. That that would have been the old me. I'm going to have the money for a minute just to hold it, but I'm not going to do the thing to keep it. The new me is like, oh no, I only do what I do and I pay everyone else to do everything else. I don't do shit I'm not supposed to be doing. I pay everyone else to do everything else because the thing that I do is so incredibly valuable. And if I spend any of my time doing someone else's job and no one can do mine, we're out of business. So, you know, and it's just maturity, you know, I'm not in my twenties anymore. So the mistakes I made when I was young um, are lessons, you know, I got a textbook full of lessons on how to become successful. And a majority of those chapters are the things not to do. You know, you have to unlearn things that you were told, you know, like I used to not be really good at um, promoting myself because I was told that that's a bad thing. People don't like that shit. Hey, 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 people don't like that bragging shit. Don't be bragging on yourself, buddy. Look, if you have to tell people that, that, that you're all this and that, you probably aren't. You should wait for other people to brag about you before you brag. That's the way I was brought up. So you can imagine in the business world, sitting around waiting for people to think you're good enough while everyone else is telling everyone how good they are. And you're the one that's sitting around waiting. You're the one that's not eating. You know, the quiet puppy is the one that starves. You better go after that milk. So it's just being in this space and seeing so much prosperity. It's like, all you gotta do, bro, is just tell people you're the shit and actually be the shit when you tell them. Don't lie to them, follow through. And I think that's something that, you know, some, some lessons you don't learn until you lose. You know, some people don't, some people who were born rich will never learn the lessons that a poor man will learn, you know, which can be very valuable lessons, but they were never put in a position to learn it. And, you know, I've been so many things. I was raised well, middle-class, but I was a poor adult. You know, I've, I experienced poverty as an adult. I've been on food stamps as an adult. So when you hit your lows, you know, like I've been on drugs as an adult. I've, I've seen my whole shit flush down the drain on some powder, you know? So you just learn and you're just like, yo, one plus one equals poverty. Okay, what does two plus two equal? Success. Oh, well, we're not doing this other shit anymore. We've done this for 20 years. Let's do this other thing. And then like to do this other thing and you get a, it, I came out of the shelter, right? I had $300 when I, when I left the shelter. Uh, in February, I moved into this little Airbnb, had a rooftop. And I would go up to this rooftop every day and I would talk to God. 
And I would just tell God, thank you for getting me out of the shelter. Um, thank you for like letting me keep my mind. Like I didn't lose my mind in there because people would have gone crazy. But I want more. I'm not satisfied. I want more. And then, you know, one day God was like, okay, like what? What is more? Tell me what you want. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Uh, I want I want a lot of money. Okay, tell me exactly how much money. How much money you want to make this month? Ah, uh, shit. I want to make $14,000 this month. And, you know, I cut out drinking. I cut out meat. I cut out drugs. And I made exactly $14,000 in the next 30 days. And I was like, what the fuck? So I went back and I asked for $40,000 the next month. And I made exactly $40,000 the following month. No one, like no investor, I'm not asking a person to give me something. And I'm just doing the same shit. I'm posting pictures on Instagram. By June, now I got out the shelter in January. In February, I'm, I'm in an Airbnb sharing it with like five people I don't know. This is in February. By the end of June, I made 100000 that month. So like... And this is five months after being on my ass. Four months, because February is technically month two. That's two. And then March is three, April is four, May is five, June is six. In the month of June, four months after I had 300 bucks, I made 100,000 in 30 days. Oh, I'm never going back to the old shit. I'm never doing the old shit. The old me never could have imagined that shit. And that was then. Hell, that was years ago. I'm making way more money now. I would never like, I, you know, I go out places socially and um, I'm always around alcohol. People are like, oh man, oh, you, you should try this scotch. You should try this champagne. You should do this, this. You know, it's LA. I'm around Coke all the time. I'm around people who eat meat and that shit smells great sometimes. But in my brain, I've just aligned those things with failure for myself. And I've aligned this other thing with success. And the more, I stick to this thing, the more success. But if you ever do the other shit, phew. so that keeps me very focused because I don't want the other shit ever again. Well, I think it shows up in the design too. That there's something that's very simple yet distinct about so many things that you do. It, it looks almost like easy in the sense that you go, hey, I, you know, it's so natural, you know, like, that fits something in my brain that I thought was already there is kind of how I describe it. And I, I think kind of your story fits that, you know, it shows up, they, they kind of complement each other in, in that sense. There's, there's something that's natural about the progression almost, even though it doesn't seem like it, you can't come up with it on your own as the viewer out from the outside. No, that's real. I've never heard it put that way. That's real. You know, I had um, a good friend, uh, Jim Moore from GQ. He was talking to me the other day and he said, um, he said, your clothes have a spirit to them. It's like, they're not just clothes. Like there's something that's spiritual about what you do. And that spirit, like it, 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 it attaches itself to whoever's wearing the clothes. Like it's something, it's something about it. that just like makes them greater than they were before they put the clothes on makes them happier, like more vibrant. Um, and I never heard it put that way, but like hearing you say what you just said, like it fit something in my brain that was already there, you know, but you just couldn't put your, put your finger on it. That's dope. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to make a mask as just as an example. And people see it and go, "I want to wear a mask." You know, you know, most people don't want to wear masks at all. But it kind of, like you said, it just became like, "Hey, this is a cool mask. I want that. I want to wear that mask." You know, just like everyone else is trying to avoid wearing masks, and then you see that mask, you're like, "I want to wear it." And I think, I think it's not easy to do. It looks easy, but I don't think that it is. No, it's not easy. I mean, it's been easy for us. Um, and again, I mean, you know, I'm a person, I'm always going to give thanks to God because it doesn't make any sense. And it's not easy. Like LeBron wears these every time you see him. That would be a very expensive endorsement. But we didn't have to do that. We didn't even ask him to wear them. We didn't ask for any of these things. Like I was at, um, I was at this, uh, in this spot yesterday in LA, uh, it's called Bungalows. It's real low key, like a country club type of thing. Um, and, uh, or I guess it's like a members club. Um, and, you know, there's some people there who, who know me familiar. So I see one of my guys and, you know, we, we talk for a second. And um, before I leave, you know, of course he had his Henry on. And uh, the two guys at his table were like, Hey man, do you have any more masks? They're like, yo, we love these masks, man. Do you have any more? So I was like, yeah, man. So let me run out to the car and I went out to the car, grabbed some. I came in, I sat them down on the table. I feel like, I feel like maybe the mask touched the table, but they didn't stay there long. Like the packaging touched. I was like, here you go, man. I sat on the table. All I heard was, man, these are awesome. Like, who does that? You're sitting in a restaurant at a table. You were so excited to get this thing that the second it hit the table, you tore it open, exclaiming how awesome it is, and then took it out and put it on your face. That is something that's very unusual. And there's a, it's more than a mask. You know, there is a spirit. There's something to it that just draws people there. You know, I can't even explain it. It's just the way that we, um, I can't explain it. It's just the way we marketed it, the way that we just put it out there somehow it just really connected with people. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I first saw them, I was like, there must be some huge corporation behind this, this whole, I mean, there must be some engine, this massive machine behind this. Um, but then again, how would that work? Then <laughs> there you have it. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. And so I, 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 um, I, the story behind it is even more incredible. Just, it's fascinating. Um, but I do want to hear about how you left that one job. You said it's the most gangster way to do it. Oh, well, since you asked, I have to tell you. Technically, look, the man asked, so I have to, I'm obligated to tell him <laughs> because he asked. I'm not going to lie. I have to tell him the truth. So here we go. So uh, I'm working at Zenia, right? And I'm their number one sales guy. Like I'm the one that's kicking ass every single month. I'm number one every month. There was another guy, I think he got me like one month and I was number two, I didn't like it. But I'm always number one. Um, I'm the only black guy on the floor. And Zinnia, it's a, you know, it's a conservative Italian brand. Uh, and you know, I got tattoos on my hands. I got, you know, nose piercing. Um, I had wild hair, my hair was like dreadlock. But it was like, you know, up. Um, very unique look, but you know, I'm a, I'm a bad boy. And so 
But one day, like it, things changed. You know, I, I got too invested in what was going on at Zinnia and I started making some suggestions and um, I disagree with some things that I had a right to disagree with, but some people don't like to be disagreed with. They don't feel like you're in a position to disagree with them. And uh, it got a little target on my back. And so, I, you know, I started getting fucked with, like, we're gonna fuck with him. We're gonna walk in and acknowledge everyone and walk right past him when he doesn't exist, but expect him to work hard for us. Uh, you know, just a little, little silly stuff. And so my higher self told me that I'm gonna need to leave soon. This, this type of environment is not gonna work for me. And so I decided to start a business, um, creating an event, like a social event, because people in LA, they like to do social events. So I'm gonna create a social event and I'm just gonna sell custom suits there. People are gonna come, it's gonna be pretty girls doing cocktailing and shit. And there'll be nice music and we'll maybe smoke cigars and shit. And then I'll convince people to buy some suits. And so my higher self also told me that I had exactly two weeks to make this thing happen. You have two weeks. Like I'm really good at giving myself deadlines that come out of nowhere. It's like, why would you give yourself that kind of deadline? I don't know, but you know, I don't really question God. I just do it. So I was given two weeks to get this concept going. And um, you know, I was sleeping on this dude's futon in his living room. So, you know, and he was broke. So it's two broke dudes and he got the apartment. I got the futon. Uh, and so, um, I sat on the futon and I just put this idea together to do these events and um, I make them very exclusive and you wouldn't get the location until, you know, the morning of the event and that type of shit. And it was really because I didn't have a location secure because I was broke and I was waiting for someone to let me use their space, but I made it seem very exclusive, very like mysterious. And uh, I kicked it off and on day one in LA, I did um, like 10,000 in sales. And day two, I went to San Diego and I did 7,000 in sales. So I came back that Sunday and I was like, oh shit, I did $17,000 in sales. And this is a guy that was making $18 an hour, you know, at Zinnia. And I got 17,000 in a weekend. Fuck this job, I'm out. And so I wrote a hypothetical and imaginary resignation letter. If I was gonna write the perfect resignation letter, what would I write? Let's just, fuck it, let's just do it right now. I'm really feeling it. So I wrote this resignation letter calling out um, the regional manager for, uh, you know, like really singling me out the way he had. Like you guys really blew a big opportunity with someone that was really committed. And it's just because I really wanted to go above and beyond to help my fellow coworkers. I became a target and this, that, and the other. And I felt it was racially motivated. Like I, I, I went for it because I thought it was some bullshit. Um, like some of the stuff was bullshit. Like I would fight somebody now. I got to slap him in his face today um, for trying any of that shit. So I just wrote it all out on paper and folded it up, put it in my pocket. I wasn't thinking anything of it. Went to work the next day and um, the regional director and my manager, store manager, were like, hey, Rich, can we see you in the office? Like, uh, yeah. So I go in the office, like, yeah, please have a seat. And the regional director, he's sitting there with this little shitty and grin on his face, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's gonna be some shit. And um, while they were talking to me, I realized, oh, fuck. 
I got this resignation letter in my pocket. Oh man, I hope they don't, uh, they better not do any goofy shit. Cause I got us, I got an ace in my pocket. And sure enough, they were like, ah, Rich, man, you know, um, um, do you remember, um, it was like January? I was like, mm, no, it's, no, it was like November of last year. It was like 90 days ago. I'm like, no, what's up? Well, yeah, man, you know, you came into work late one day. So yeah, man, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to write you up. I'm like, what are you talking about three months ago? And he told me the, I was like, oh, you mean the time that I was at the doctor's office and I called you and was like, hey man, I'm at the doctor's office. I'm running a little behind. And you were like, oh man, don't worry about it. We got the floor covered. Take your time. We'll see you when you get back. You mean that time? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that was, yeah, that was probably it. But I mean, you know, we still have to, we still have to document it, you know? I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Do what you need to do. So they write it up, you know? So we have, you know, and then, then the, the regional manager, his voice is deeper. Um, Cause I think he smoked cigarettes uh, and drank Diet Coke all the time. All I ever saw him drink was Diet Coke. So his voice is more like this. And he was like, Rich, you know, <laughs> it's really for, it's, it's all for your better. You know, it's just gonna put you on a, on a probationary period, but you'll be okay. We just need to see, um, you know, your performance just improve and your attitude at work just needs to improve. Uh, you need to be more of a team, you know, it's all this shit. They wanna give me the, the 10th degree because they feel like they have some leverage about me being like 15 minutes late from a doctor's appointment, it's so stupid. So I decided I'd fuck with him. I was like, well, now I'm not gonna sign this easily. So I was like, oh gosh, that's terrible. You really want me to sign this? <sighs> wow, what was me? I guess I must. Hmm, oh wow, this pen doesn't really work. Can you guys furnish me with a better pen? I wanna sign it. I wanna make sure my signature's consistent. You know you hate when the signature starts and stops. No one likes that. And they're like, give Rich a pen. So they gave me another pen. And I was like, well, you know, before I sign it, I don't exactly agree with everything that's written. Can I make some annotations? Can I add some things? Rich, just fine. That's fine. But then just sign it. All right. Let me write all this shit about you guys. Because y'all are acting real goofy right now. So I'm going to say y'all are acting mad goofy. And you did this. It's incredibly unprofessional. And I'm going to actually put some scenarios. I'm going to document times when y'all fucked up. Okay, here's one, two, three. So I decided y'all wanna write me up, I'ma write you up. And then afterwards they were like, okay, Rich, I mean, this is really unnecessary. Just, we really just need you to sign at this point. So I, I think I, I, I drug it out for maybe another five minutes. And then I was like, you know what? I don't even wanna sign this shit. But what I do wanna do is give you this piece of paper that I think will tell you everything else I wanna say. Fuck you guys, I quit. And they were like, oh, well, I mean, Rich, I mean, you know, are, are, are you gonna give a notice? Like, are you gonna, fuck you guys, I quit. Took my tie off, sat on the desk. I was like, I'm out, I'm good. And I walked out and at the Beverly Center, you know, you have the, the second level, which is a luxury level. And everyone knew me, cause you know, I'm cool and I, I was friendly. So I literally went from store to store announcing that I had just quit. And I got drunk as shit because all these stores have champagne. So first place I went was Ferragamo because uh, my roommate worked at Ferragamo. So I went to Ferragamo. They're like, oh, hey, Rich. Hey, what's up? It's like, yo, what's good? How y'all doing? Oh, we're good. What's up with you? I'm chilling. Ah, I can really go for some champagne though. Champagne, like you gotta go back to work. Nah, no, I don't. I just quit that shit. 
garcon, garcon, bring me some champagne. And so I went from Zinnia, I mean, from uh, Ferragamo to Tiffany's to Versace to Gucci to Louis. I went to every store and I got shit drunk um, off champagne, announcing to everyone that I quit. So by the end of the day, everyone at the mall basically knew that Zinnia had lost their star. Like they lost the guy that was the guy. They shut that store down, what, six months later? Uh, the regional director, I think he, he got fired. He ended up making dog bow ties and shit. Um, didn't really turn out the way they thought. The other guy, he's working retail again. Every now and then I'll pull up on him in one of my Maseratis and just park outside and say, oh, you used to be my manager, that's crazy. I could buy all this shit, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna go back to my mansion and come up with some shit to make of my own. But toodles, I'll see you, bye-bye. Um, it's crazy, but wow. yeah. That so, that's that that is a great story. Some gangster shit. And now they turn it into a customer service center. So now if you go to the Beverly Center, their customer service center is it's like they 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 do gift wrapping there and shit. That's that's where the Zinnia was, where the legendary Rich Fresh used to used to be. That's that's the place. Wow. I I, I love the defiant streak that 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 comes up a lot. I've, I've read up on a lot of your stories that I, I, it's, it's great. I, I just find it inspirational, but it's also very focused. You know, it's not, it's very focused, which, which makes it cut just a lot nicer. So that that's great. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, uh, thanks again. Um, I'll get all the links where we can share everywhere people can find you. Um, and yeah, we'll keep looking out for what's coming up next because uh, I'm looking forward to it. More great things, man. I, I appreciate your time, Anil. Thank you, Fresh, for being a guest on this episode of the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're listening at this point and you haven't already, please do leave the Fox Nomad podcast five stars wherever you're listening to this. Because of you, the Fox Nomad podcast has hit Apple's top lists in tech multiple times and we just want to keep that going and leaving your reviews really helps get the word about the podcast out thank you again for listening thanks for your time and until the next episode i hope you have a great rest of your day